Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. I tell you this much, I'd hate to be the parent of school-going children this morning trying to decide what happens and how we plan for next Monday or the Monday after or the Monday after that because they can't seem to make a decision. Newspapers full of it this morning to do with the schools and what will happen next week. Five or, five or six of the daily papers carrying stories about it, pretty much telling us that a decision will eventually be made, telling us that we, we expect the schools now to stay open, or stay closed rather, until the end of January. But no one is actually making a decision just yet. Good morning, 1850 The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083 The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. I'd like to know what you feel like we we knew that they weren't going back until next Monday. Now it looks fairly certain it'll be at least the Monday after, if not the end of the month. We hear that one particular committee, this cabinet subcommittee, will meet today and they'll discuss it presumably over tea and buns, socially distanced, of course. And then the cabinet itself will meet tomorrow and they'll discuss it. And then we might get a decision. Like, why does it take so long to reach a flipping decision? The, it's dominating the front pages. Uh, the Echo is quoting a number of different principals and teachers calling for a decision to be made and announced. Uh, the examiner is pretty much doing the same, except it says a number of measures are being considered, including a closure for the rest of January. The Indo is saying schools will stay shut, will stay shut, except for a provision for frontline workers and their children. How that works, I don't understand. The Sun says a decision, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, will be made tomorrow, but the teachers. Uh, unions are very worried. The TUI says it, it would be reckless uh, not to stay closed and they want to stay closed until at least the 18th of January. No one seems to know for sure what exactly is going to happen. Now, last evening, the chief medical officer was speaking and he, to my mind anyway, and you can play it their way in just a sec, to me, in my mind, he is pretty much telling the government they can't reopen the schools. I think the position that we have always tried to follow uh, over the course of the last six months or so was to do everything we could as a country to try to take all of the other measures we could take so as to allow us to continue to provide education uh, in as normal or as near normal a set of circumstances in schools and ma we managed to do that successfully as a country through all of the efforts that had to be made to maintain that as one of the key and core public service objectives that we protected over the course of the last number of months. Uh, I think that uh, the situation we find ourselves in now 
know is that the transmission levels are very, very high uh, for the infection in the population. And even though the age-specific rates are lower in some of the school-going children than in the population overall, the reality is they've changed and increased very, very substantially. And so we remain concerned now about our ability to assure, if you like, the continuing provision of any of the core public services that we've talked about as being the key things that we try to protect. Listening between the lines there, he definitely seems to be saying uh, we need to think very long and hard before reopening the schools. Back in October when they had to close because of a problem among their teachers and among their their staff, I spoke with Seamus O'Connor, the principal of Skullvreda in Crosshaven. Uh, they've got 200 plus students down there. It's a primary school. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm not too bad, sir. Happy New Year to you. Certainty you. in in very short supply. Uh, PJ, would you mind? I, it's a terrible line. Could I be called back? And apologies. Not at all. Not at all. That's fine. Can we get them back there on on another line? Maybe that might be better. That might be better. Again, as I said, going through the the particular newspapers um, this morning, they're all dominated. Six of the, the daily newspapers have school-related sto- school stories and school decision-related stories, and they're all dominating most of the front pages. The only one, as I said there while ago, speaking with any level of certainty, is the independent who says schools will stay shut to frontline workers. That's that's an absolute will stay shut that the this cabinet committee, which is effectively uh, Michal Martin, Michael McGrath, Stephen Donnelly, uh, the one or two others, they're meeting this morning. They will make a decision and then they'll bring that decision to cabinet. Why all that nonsense has to go on, I really, really do not know. I think Seamus might be better, uh, back in a better line. Are you there, Seamus? Yeah, PJ, okay. how are you? Good Great. morning. Happy New Year, sir. And to you, uh, certainty in very short supply. Yeah, yeah, PJ, I suppose the first thing to emphasise is that all, all school leaders, all school teachers, all school communities really want to be back at this point. That there is no, there's absolutely no opposition to schools opening. However, we're also aware of the difficulties that everybody suffered, both parents and teachers. Um, when we did lockdown for the first time, um, it was very difficult to continue with, with the online learning. And I mean, I, I appreciate the difficulties the parents had, let alone the teachers. Can you imagine the teachers are trying to conduct online learning while minding their own children? Hmm. But I think you hit the nail on the head there in relation to the uncertainty. I believe when, when the government extended the holidays for these few days, I think everybody took, almost had a sigh of relief in relation to the fact that this bought a little bit of time with a view to consistent and concrete decisions being taken at that point. However, as the week has evolved, and particularly as the numbers have escalated, I think people's anxiety has escalated as well. And people people are aware of the situation the country is in. It's quite a dire situation at this point nationally, and there are bigger issues at play now, let alone education. However, people need to make decisions for next week, and I think concrete decisions and concrete leaderships need to be made. And PJ, I've spoken to you in October, I spoke to you during the summer holidays, and I said at the time that I felt that there was a huge lack, a, a major discrepancy in relation to the leadership in relation to the education uh, sector. And I think that that has been illustrated again over the last number of hours. Hmm. Well, what's happening with one committee meeting today and then the cabinet meeting tomorrow? I said yesterday the Minister for Education herself has been conspicuous by her silence in all of this. What, what kind of an atmosphere does that generate in your office, Seamus, as you seek to plan? Yeah, it, it definitely leads to um, anxiety on the side of school communities. Um, 
I, I suppose from our perspective on, on New Year's Eve, we sent out a message to our parent body to say, look, um, you know, school will be closed until the 11th and in the, hopefully on, in the unlikely event that we will be closed, we would um, set out, we would organise for the books to be distributed for the children um, on the 15th or the 16th. So I felt that that gave a bit of concreteness to our, our parent body and I believe a lot of schools did similar. Um, I suppose one of the, the major t- twists of, of this new um, situation is the idea of providing um, care or education for frontline workers, families. Yeah. Now, I think that's a good idea. I don't have a problem with that. But, I mean, if you look at the list, PJ, of Level 5, what are considered Level 5 um, key essential workers, that's quite an extensive list. And, I mean, yeah. I'm wondering how what guidelines the schools are going to be given in relation to discriminating to which children can and can't avail of that facility. I also believe providing care for, uh, or probably, uh, sorry, educational space for children with SEN is, is key. But again, you know, I, I was discussing with you in October and over the summer about the lack of guidelines and the, how mm. slow they were to come out in relation to just opening schools. I think it's going to be very difficult for schools to, to make a call on these issues when the guidelines aren't available. And again, I would, I would question how quickly they'll come out to us. Is it fair to be very critical of the fact that the government have had eight or nine months to put different uh, schemes sorry, or plans in place? Is it is it is it fair to be very critical of a government that's had eight or nine months to prepare for an eventuality like this and hasn't done it? Yeah, I, I think it is fair. I think, look, in my situation, I'm I'm in charge of. Uh, you know, 230 children, which is equates to approximately 200 families. And if I didn't, over a nine-month period, put certain protocols into place or preempt what may happen, so that we were ready to go, particularly in the case where we had a, a couple of cases in our school, I think we took effective measures at that time and we opened when we could and so forth. We had a lot of prep and planning put in place. There was outside of of the actual guidelines that we were given by the department, and I think you know, wouldn't you think that we all knew that a second and a third wave were going to come, PJ? I think. Anecdotally, and none of us are health experts or public health experts, and I appreciate that. However, we all knew at some point there was going to be a second and a third wave. And I mean, to be fair, this idea of providing additional educational um, um, space for, for, for families of frontline workers, etc., that has been on the go across Europe and in, particularly in Britain. Yeah. And surely yeah. the, our own department should have known that that would have come into, into place here at some, at some point, you know. So Would you, you, you mentioned that the number of people given any of those guidelines yet. Yeah, sorry to cut across you. You mentioned that the number of people under level five restrictions that can be classed as essential. That's rather a long list. Would it need to be whittled down to to an absolute set uh, that says, look, these people can send their children to school, but everybody else has got to keep theirs at home? Yeah, I, I, it would be very difficult for them to for them to work from home and, and conduct those jobs. It's a very extensive list, as you said, PJ. And even down to, could I ask, how how were schools, you know, how much time will we get to, to I suppose the phrase discriminate is the wrong phrase, but how, how much time will schools get to figure out what children can and can't come into school? I suppose the difference for schools in this time was when we did the lockdown in March, you know, schools weren't allowed to open, the buildings weren't physically allowed to open. It was yeah. essentially only for principals to walk in there to conduct um, payments, to ensure the building was safe and to oversee uh, meals, uh, school meals for, the, for underprivileged families, okay? This time, I believe that staff will be allowed to enter the buildings, which means that teachers will be allowed to conduct their homeschooling from, from the school building itself, which I think will 
will definitely help families. I think it'll, it'll absolutely help the quality as well of, of the presentation mm. of the online of the online yeah. learning. You know, I, no, I, techni- technically, in your own circumstance, Seamus, how, how are you set up to teach online? Or yeah. are you? On a, on a personal level in our school, so we have already, I suppose we have a plan in place for the staff, um, which we haven't quite instigated yet, but we did prep it in September and October. We have, um, there is an online uh, platform called Seesaw. We purchased that in September for the entire year so that we, you know, that and we have all of our parent body logged into it presently. So um, we were using it in, um, each week for homework purposes. And now that we're in a situation where we may need to go to an, on- an online platform to deliver education, where well, we can instigate that immediately. So all of our staff, all of our parents are logged into that or tuned into that, for want a better phrase, so we can start that immediately. I think key to that then would be sending home the children's books and their baskets. If for nothing else, you know, it means that the parents can work with the children's own copies and, and their own workbooks, so that alleviates an element of pressure around needing to be online for sustained periods of time you know an element of this that you know a lot of parents found difficult the last time which was overlooked was i suppose people were working with their you know at home um, remotely no more than yourself pj and and it, that was difficult then for people to get their children online at the same time uh, a simple example if one of my staff let's say the fourth class teacher ran a zoom lesson at 11 a.m you can't guarantee that all 30 children would be on at, thir- at 11 a.m you know Mm. So I suppose mm. in our case, with the Seesaw platform, a teacher can record a small five or ten minute uh, video of a lesson and place it on the on the platform, which will allow parents to log in and see it at any time, securely yeah. and safely, you know. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's going to be an interesting couple of days. I, I expect we'll get a decision by this time tomorrow. Seamus, always a pleasure to talk to you. And, and whatever happens, uh, let's hope we can all stay safe in our schools. Yeah, and, and PJ, just the final message I'd like to make is, again, you know, we're, as a community, we all have to work together at this point, and I'm sure that if there is a call made later today or tomorrow to say the schools are going to be closed for a period of time, that there'll be a lot of anxiety around that. But look, we just have to remember that in as much as there's difficulty for families and, and difficulty with childcare, you know, it's the same for staff. There's the same levels of anxiety that everybody in the community has. Yes. Yeah, I, I should probably have asked you about that. Um, your own staff, your own colleagues there, like they must, just like the rest of us, be very nervous of these uh, spiralling figures. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. I suppose we haven't spoken extensively yet. I've been trying to allow them to have their break in as much as they can because I know that once we are back in, we're on and we'll be on quite quite extensively you know but I, I i mean look in our case as i said two or three of our staff had contracted covid one of our staff is still quite ill she hasn't returned to work yet so i suppose there's a heightened anxiety in our school around this issue um but I, in fairness there are very few school or, or school environments that haven't been touched by this um disease at this point all right, Seamus, I'll leave it there for today, and thank you very thank much, you, Seamus O'Connor, the principal of Skull Rita in Crosshaven. We'll pop across to line two. Atticans called the opinion line. Attican, good morning. You had a point to make about the schools. Yeah, I think I, I agree with the decision to so far to close the schools until the end of January at least. But I think from the start, I've been really, really doubtful about the schools and the spread of the virus. Like there's been, according to Neffin and mostly the medical advice, the schools haven't been spreading the virus and the children in the schools are safe but I think I'm really doubtful about that now that after what we've seen in England yesterday Boris Johnson in the morning completely saying all the schools are safe and that we'll be sending our children back next week and then about let's say three four hours later he says no 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 we have to close the schools so that's kind of 
to me it's a bit sketchy in my opinion I don't think why why would you close the schools if the schools are safe I know the virus is spreading rapidly across Europe and England and Ireland and so on but I I'm very very doubtful that why would a prime minister come on and say the schools are safe and then say oh my god they're not safe and we must shut them it's I think in my opinion in Ireland they'll do the same either today or tomorrow they'll come out with a decision and say we have to shut the schools until the end of January at the very least. Yeah. One comment that I heard, uh, Atticon, with regard to what happened in the UK, and you did right, and of course they are gone into once, twice, three times a lockdown. Uh, as, of, as of tonight, they're all gone back into lockdown. Was that, yes, the schools themselves, inside the doors of the schools with all the PPE and the masks and the sanitising and the distancing and all, the schools themselves may be relatively safe. But if we want people to stay at home there's a million and a half people in the school system that aren't staying at home. So we want people to stay at home. So keeping the schools open kind of goes against that, that principle in itself. That seems to be where, where, where Boris was coming from last night. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that. Like, he's, when he backtracked on it, I agree with it because, you see, like, even the TUI, I think the head of the TUI here in Ireland, the Teachers Union of Ireland, said that um, you're telling people to stay home and stay safe, but then you're expecting teachers medically vulnerable teachers, all different yeah. various amounts of teachers to go on the front line and teach our children of Ireland. And I don't think... And moreover, to bring, bring, go into that, the front line, work yeah. among the children, and then possibly, because children don't exhibit symptoms for the most part, possibly bring that virus home on your clothes, on your briefcase, on your hands, on your shoes, on your trousers, to bring them home to a vulnerable family member. That, that must make life very worrying for teachers. Oh, absolutely. And they have, like, I don't think they've got enough credit throughout this pandemic, especially at the start of the pandemic. I have to give one mention, actually, to my old uh, secondary school, Mayfield Community School. At the start of the pandemic, all I heard was from some different radio stations was, all oh, teachers are lazy and they're getting their full wages for free. And well, well, well that doing... nonsense was never tolerated here, Attica, yeah. I'll tell you that now. No, I have to say that fair play to you at 96FM. Not, not once did you tolerate that nonsense and my old school had teachers online, remote learning, teaching, and I think for the majority of schools, that's been the same. So I have to praise teachers for that, and especially children that have, you know, continued throughout this pandemic to, you know, yeah. learn and at a very, very hard stage. Yeah. OK, leave it there for now, Attigan. Thank you very much for your call. 1850-715-996. I, I'd love in particular to speak to parents of, of young children. And I don't know whether they're four or 14 or five or, or 15. If you have children that are supposed to go back to school next week, uh, first of all, do you want them to go back? Secondly, if they don't go back, how are you going to deal with? And, and, and third, I, I guess, do you think it's right or wrong that they, that they will or won't go back. It's, 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 a, it's a parent's nightmare to be sitting, trying to plan for next week, trying to plan, well, where are the children going to go if they don't go to school? I have to go to work. I can't do my job from home. My boss is putting me under pressure to come into the office, and that is still going on. You hear a lot of people who say, well, I could work from home. I could do 90% of my work from the kitchen table, but my boss is insisting that I come in. That nonsense is still going on. You hear that all the time. We get calls all the time about that. Uh, an anonymous message. Fianna Fáil, with their effing bureaucratic layers, they did the same with all the layers between them and Neffet. Ask covering. Fianna Fáil first before anything or anybody else. 
sickening. Brian's on Twitter and says, if the government vaccinated... This is an interesting point, because yesterday I was talking to Anne Piggott from the ASTI, and she made the point in the course of that call that teachers are in something like Category 11 uh, on the list of vaccination priorities. They're well down the list. It'll be months before any teachers get a vaccination. Brian's making the point, if the government vaccinated teachers, SNAs, caretakers, and everybody else who runs a school, then surely the problem would be gone and they could open quicker and safer. I really don't understand, he says, how this hasn't crossed the government's mind. Vaccinate the school staff, minimise risk. Everyone would be a winner. You see, the problem with that, Brian, is it makes too much sense. It makes an awful lot of sense. Kevin says Michael Gove on the BBC this morning confirmed the UK equivalent of junior and leaving cert will be cancelled and schools will be closed till the end of the month. We've had 10 months to plan for all outcomes. This shouldn't be difficult. Yeah, the A's and the GCSEs and all, they're gone now for this summer in the UK. I wonder, are we coming into a second year of no leaving cert? And the mocks, uh, Seamus is a primary school principal, so I wasn't going to bring this up with him, but the mocks are due to start. I think mocks are due to start probably in about five weeks' time in some schools. Uh, mock junior and mock leaving are due to start in February. So so the whole thing is thrown in to chaos uh, at this stage. 1850-715-996. Let's go to uh, Maria. Um, Maria, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, you're very adamant that the schools should stay closed. Yes, because in my opinion, it just is our children's lives worth the risk or is our children's grandparents' lives worth the risk? They've already lost so much. They might as well just, if I'm in a lucky position, I can keep them home. And I understand that not everybody can. They don't have the childcare. But is our Mm. children's lives really that con- inconsequential yeah it's we have I've, all... I've lost two family members in the last week and four two more friends due to covid back in south africa oh i'm so sorry maria no way two in a... my, my cousin my cousin he's 50 was 55 healthy farmer died on monday last week and my brother died on the 31st a friend of mine mom died on the 30th, and um, a grandma of a friend, I think she was 100, she passed away on the 5th. Um, it's rampant there. Schools are closed because it's summer holiday, but and it's summer, so we're all kind of thinking if summer comes, there's COVID will be easier. It's not. This new, this new strain is just so infectious. It, it's just, it's not worth sending children to get education, and then they get the education but they don't use it because they're sick. I know. Yeah. That's yeah. my opinion. Or, or the adults around them are sick oh, because... Oh, yeah. losing family members. It's, it's, and I didn't think it would happen to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where you think COVID's there, it's out there, it's fine, I'm, I'm good, I stay at home, all this. And now I've lost four people I know within a week. It's it's a different ball game. this, this strain, this morphed it's just crazy yeah yeah so uh, how old are your own children my children are in third class my daughter and my son is in sixth class i'm a bit worried about him because he's going into secondary next year but you know what all the kids are in the same boat they're all behind Mm. 
And how do they feel, Maria, themselves? You see, my children are a little bit different coming from South Africa. We've been here three years. They've kind of faced a lot more danger. And they're used to being home because it was quite dangerous to be out and about and meeting friends and stuff like that. That doesn't happen in South Africa. Teenagers don't congregate because it's just not safe. Um, So my kids are fine. They quite enjoy having, because my my husband's on COVID um, benefits, so they quite enjoy having their father home and me home. I work half day um, and we do a bit more exercise with them and, you know, we pay a bit more attention to them. So they kind of, kind of liking (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you in any position to replace their schooling with some home lessons or, or do you bother well, with that? We, we we try to bother with it, but we don't have much patience because we were <laughs> trained to be teachers. And that's why teachers come in and where they should be safe and not be forced to work when they don't, when they're not safe working. Um, um, pretty much like a healthcare system. But um yeah, we're not very good at it, um, but we do try. We do do experiments. I think that's them. that's pretty much the most a parent can do. I, I say this repeatedly. My, my my children are past school age now, well past it, and I am so grateful for that in, in the middle of all of this. Maria, I'm desperately sorry for your loss and, and thoughts with you. Thank you. And thank you for your call. No problem. Have a lovely day. You too. That's 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 Maria uh, from South Africa, but living living in Cork. Four people lost to her through uh, COVID nineteen. How do you how do you even begin to contemplate coping with that, particularly when you see idiots online uh, trying to make the distinction between of or with? Don't even go there. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. With Cork Dental Care, take the first step to smiling with confidence. See CorkDentalCare.com. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Morris says if you move teachers up the order for vaccines, then uh, who do you move? suggest is moved down as a consequence? It's very simplistic to say something like that. Well, Morris, that's a valid point. But here's the thing, my friend. There are people paid very large chunks of your taxes and mine in massive salaries to decide that. I can't decide it. You probably don't know either. But the teachers... We're making the point, the ASTI were making the point there, priority number 11 on the list for vaccination. So many of them won't even get near an injection until the summer at the very earliest. So maybe they are more priority. They're on the front line. They're frontline workers, teachers. 
if we're going to send our children to school so that everybody else can get on with their lives and the children can go to school, then surely there is a logic behind moving the teachers up the vaccination list. Thanks, Morris. And good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? And a happy new year to you. And to you. And to you. Your husband um, is on yeah, the front line as it is. He's a school bus driver, PJ. Okay. No, thank God, so far so good. He's been very safe driving up to Christmas. He's doing what he should do, disinfecting his bus and whatever they have to do. And thank God, he's been very safe. But my worry now is I had cancer two years ago, two years this month, but thank God, I'm fine. But my worry is there's nobody talking about the school, the bus drivers going back, driving the school buses. Mm. Now, I mean, he takes a secondary school. You know, so where do they come into it? And you know the way, and if I go out from where I am here and get a, a 220 or a 216 into town, it's only got about 50% capacity. Oh, we is know his that. Is yeah. half full? Yes, it is. Yes, right. very so, very much. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is indeed, yeah. It is, they're cut down completely. But okay. that is well, besides that's a, that's the point. Yeah. You know, you don't know, I mean... You don't know, are the kids bringing it onto the bus? Now, there's mm. plenty of sanitizers and everything on the bus. Yeah. But you and is he in, in the cabin, is he protected? No, he's not. He wears right. his mask and whatever he wears, he's supplied with those, so he has to wear those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But who's to say there is nobody on the bus carrying it? Indeed. And especially with this, this new virus that's out now. Yeah, and how fast it spreads. Yes. Yeah. So that is my main worry now is, you know, nobody seems to be speaking. How, if the buses don't run, like if there's a bus driver out sick, how are the kids going to get to school? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then the bus driver out sick might bring it home to you. And exactly. I know, I know you made a full recovery and I'm delighted for you, but, but God, you're, did, obviously yeah. you have to mind yourself. Going I forward. do, Peter. I mean, yeah, are you yeah, still I'm on very... medicines then? I'm on nothing, PJ, thanks be to God. Great. I'm just one of the very, very lucky ones. Great. I'm just great. one of the very, very lucky ones. I've just cut and tight. So I, I think what you're saying to me is keep the schools closed until we sort this out, is that it? Well, maybe so. Maybe so. Keep them closed for an extra week. Okay. All right. And thank you very much. You know? I wish you and okay. your husband good, good you. health and good. Thanks very thanks. much, PJ. Thank Cheers. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. 1850 Yep. The general feeling out there seems to be that it would be sensible to keep the schools shut for the rest of the month of January or for at least a w another week or two. Sandra says it's madness sending kids back to school. Education's important, but life has priority. The kids will catch up no matter what. We need to keep our teachers and kids safe or it'll be one vicious circle. Where I live, kids are out playing. It's frustrating to watch as the parents are guards. Isolation is isolation. Uh, how many people shouting to have the schools closed would leave their kids out on the street hanging around with gangs of others? What people are not taking account of, again, another message. This came up yesterday, actually. Uh, what people are not taking account of is the amount of parents gathering in groups outside of schools. I work in a school, but even though we've been able to keep the kids within government guidelines, it's soul-destroying to look out the window and see them all gathering. But Kate says, how come you don't hear from supermarket workers? They've been great. It's an essential service. So are the schools. And I'll tell you, the teachers get paid a lot more. 
than the supermarket workers. 1857 Michelle, good morning. Morning, PJ. Happy New Year to you. And to you. Uh, you were you were set? Were you preparing to send them back Monday? Would you be relieved if they were closed for another few weeks? Um, well, um, you know, my son goes to the life centre, so it's um, it's a little bit different. It's not a oh, yeah. you know a massive school, How, and they were planning to go back on the eleventh, regardless. But um, I think it's madness sending them back um, for the sake of a couple of weeks, um, just to protect everyone. You know, we, I think you know back in March and even the last lockdown, the numbers were just numbers. But now I think it, they're all coming closer to the door. We know people. You know, the numbers are, you know, there's faces to go with them now and names. And um, I think like putting teachers and families at risk just for the sake of an extra couple of weeks is absolute madness. Yeah. You mentioned the Life Centre. Of course, I know it well. I know its interior Mm -hmm. very well. The rooms aren't particularly big. Um, The distancing... They've been doing it, but it, but it's it's mm-hmm. not very easy. It might be safer, wouldn't it, to keep everything shut down for a month? I think so, and I suppose um, you know I have to say about the school, like they put amazing work into making mm. it, you know, COVID secure for the kids. But I think the kids are fine. It's more, you know, you have to each going to have that anxiety going into that situation, and you know, it's not about the kids catching something; it's about the transmission. And I think the government now are just, especially Norma Foley is like an ostrich. You know, she needs to get her head out of the sand now. Um, Mm. You know, she's not inspiring confidence in people and people are getting anxious. Um, You know, my son's in Leaving Cert. He missed a portion Mm. of fifth year because of, you know, the initial lockdown. And I think for him, it's the anxiety of not knowing what the Leaving Cert is going to look like. You know, um, I think for a lot of kids, if they know what's ahead of them, they can prepare and it will help. You know, like the UK made, you know, they made their decision. No exams this year. You know, the equivalent of the junior cert is not happening. You know, Mm. I think we need to do the same. Our government need to just pull the finger out now and make a decision. Was he due to start mocks in a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's typical this time of year. They would they would be doing that, and I suppose for for him in particular, he does get you know anxious around exams. So mm. this isn't helping at all. So I think for me, I'm just reiterating the fact that you know you can repeat. There's options, but like that that doesn't help. You know, that doesn't help the anxiety. No, no, because when you're when you're that when you're that age, the world will end in three days, and you've got to be there for exactly. it. That's that's exactly. how it is. You know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Michelle, thank you very much, and I wish him and you the best, and, and everybody everybody's safe. Uh, I, before I let you go, though, yeah, if Norma Foley was listening right now, yeah. and you could ask her a direct question, what would you say? Yeah. Where is she, I suppose? You know, um, she's not been present, and why has she not been present? Um, you know, and show us, show us the actual facts, because I don't think the figures that they're showing us are correct. You know, there's you know, it, they can't be. They just can't be. It, it beggars belief that a school is safe, but we can't go to work, you know? Um, so, first of all, where is she and why isn't she more present? And secondly, like, we need to see the exact facts and figures about this because it's not making sense. You know, it really isn't. Why are the teachers so anxious? They're sitting there so they know what's going on. And why are they so anxious? If everything was hunky-dory in the schools, they wouldn't be so, you know, 
outside about going back to school. And you can all see right. it on Twitter. The teachers are all, they're all anxious and, you know, some of them probably afraid, you know. And that's, oh, that's not some of them terrified, I, I suspect. Yeah, mm. and I know people go on about, oh, they're paid this and they're paid that. They're paid to do a job that they do very well. And quite frankly, I think a lot of them are underpaid, you know, and they're not paid to go in and put their lives at risk. That's mm. not what they're paid for. They're paid to teach our kids, but you can't do it in, a, in an unsafe environment. Okay, Michelle, leave it there. Thank you very much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That's a good point about Norma Foley and something else that just popped into my head. I don't have any personal rancor against Minister Foley. I know I've been accused of that on on social media, and particularly over with my friends on the proc. They 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 seem to think I've got it in for Norma Foley. I don't. I don't. I'm just wondering why she's being so silent and so quiet at the moment. Moreover. And and just pop this one out on the table before we go to a break. She was a school teacher. In fact, I think she might well have been a principal, but she was certainly a school teacher only 18 months ago. Remember, she's a first-time TD, got elected for the first time in the election back in February last year. Before that, she was a teacher, uh, teaching as a, I wonder how she'd feel if she was still a teacher, what she'd be looking to do. 1850-715-996. There have been calls over the last few days for a clampdown on some of the most popular areas of the county, places like Fountainstown and Crosshaven and Camden and all those beautiful places, uh, places that people are heading for a break during the restrictions, during the the five-kilometre rule, but they're getting overcrowded and there are calls for on-the-spot fines. We'll get to that next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96FM. There's a photograph in one of the newspapers this morning. I think it's the examiner offhand. I can't recall. I didn't write it down. Typical of me. But I did see the picture. That diving platform, you know the one in Galway, there on Salt Hill, where in the height of the storms, all these Egypts go up diving and swimming off it. That now, that diving platform and pretty much that whole stretch of the prom up in Salt Hill has been blocked off and closed. And and down around here, uh, all the great beauty spots like Fountainstown, Myrtleville, Y'all, they're, they're all open. You can get onto all the beaches. But there's been a call now for those areas to be blocked off too. And for on-the-spot fines for people who are there, who are not locals, who are coming there from outside their five-kilometre limit. Councillor Audrey Buckley, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having you, me on. And delighted to have you. You you live near Grabal Bay, don't you? Yeah, I live um, near Gravel Bay um, and I try and walk that area at the moment because um, the other areas in the area are quite busy. Yeah. Um, I think the article stemmed from um, my phone um, and text and messaging on Saturday um, in relation to Fountainstown Beach being so packed. Yeah. Residents were very worried, angry, 
um, that there was a, seemed to be a lot of people from outside the 5K area. So I rang Cork Kent Council's emergency number and I asked if we could get the car park closed for the next day, the Sunday, because I looked at the weather and it was going to be nice mm. to try and stop people from coming down. I've also asked for a guard of presence at O'Leary's Cross. Um, I was told by... Remind people guard, again where that cross <coughs> is, Audrey. That's just past Cargilline where you would take a right to go okay. to Town if you're from outside the area. Okay, you turn right to go up the hill. Yeah. <clears throat> you turn right, yeah, up right, Crosshaven Rugby Club, um, Bunny Canal and Pine Lodge. Um, but the problem is, is um, Toker Guard, the station can only um, allow guards there when they have guards free yeah. to patrol the area. Um, we, Cork County Council, did close the car park for me on Saturday afternoon, um, but they reopened it yesterday because they told me that it's not a national directive to close our public car parks. Um, so uh, Seamus McGrath has a meeting this morning in Cork County Council and he will be bringing it up why Galway Council were able to close their busy, um, like the promenade that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. <clears throat> and it wasn't a directive nationally. Um, I, we are waiting for Wednesday for Michal Martin's announcement. It's such a grey area where it's level five, but not like it was back in March when they did close the public car parks and, and mm. uh, local amenities. Well, one big difference, Audrey, is that back in March, it was a two kilometre boundary. So, well, so it was I, I, easier to enforce that, I guess. I, well, how are you enforcing it? That's the problem. We, yeah. This country is known for um, a very lack of enforcement issues because the guards' hands are tied. They're, you know, um, I think nationally, we need to come out with uh, guidelines for everybody and we all stay to the same page. Um, just also to let you know, it's not that we don't want people walking down in the area because we are very fortunate to live in a beautiful area. Yeah. Our concern is is the COVID numbers in Crosshaven are quite high. Yeah. Um, and it's people coming in here, picking it up and bringing it back out. So we're trying to protect ourselves and to protect the people, not from the area. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, actually, because people often wonder, what is this distance limit all about? It's to stop people moving around, because if people move, then the virus moves. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's time for fines? Well, I, you know me with the anti-litter and the drinking on mm. beaches, I've been trying to get fines. I've been trying to get Cork County Council to, to give a fine book to the guards like they do in County Monaghan if we had that in place. It's not that I want to give people fines. It's just the word will get out there that, yes, there's going to be on-spot fines. And I think if people are hit in the pocket, they mightn't think, you know what, sure, there'll be nobody down there. We'll, we'll pop down and have a walk on the beach. But they're not thinking about us, the locals that live here. Well, who's going to protect us? Yeah. I, I've explained before on the on the programme, Audrey, that I have, um, because of my son, we have a, a, an exemption letter that allows us to travel. He, he loves the sea. He finds it extremely calming. So we have a, an exemption letter that allows us to travel outside our five kilometres for his, for his benefit. benefit. So, Brilliant. You know, but, but like... At the same time, even when I do, we are exceptionally careful. 
Uh, but I was with him there over the over the Christmas period. I took him down to, to Camden. And the number of people wandering and walking around as if it was midsummer and nothing wrong yeah. was amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> I walked on the point on Sunday and it was so busy. I just went back home. Um, and the playground is very busy. But it's so unfortunate for you and your son because you're doing the correct, you're taking the correct steps and you have that letter to bring your son out to, you know, but you can't because everybody else who does not have that letter is also coming. Hmm. How do we deal um, with this? <clears throat> well, we closed the car park on Saturday evening um, and the residents were delighted. But Sunday, because the car park was closed, the people that were coming in were creating a backlog of traffic parking on the road. Yeah. So yeah. that's why Did- Port Kent Council made the decision to reopen the car park. But... Um, we need proper guidelines and we need the government to tell the guards what they can do to try and stop this because telling people and asking people, are you from here? And somebody could say, yeah, yes, I am. Whereas the mm. proof, <clears throat> I, that's why I, I was talking about the on-spot fines because people aren't listening. I don't want to be here in two or three months' time. I want the country to get back up like a lot of people, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Andrea, so I'll leave it there with you. Yes, thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank, you, thank you for that. Uh, appreciate it. 1850 That's Councillor Audrey Buckley uh, down around Grabal Bay, Crosshaven area. And they've been really busy. Here's a message says, you should have seen Gary Vaux last Sunday. You wouldn't see it in the middle of a heat wave. It was packed. There was no way was that safe. I live in Yall, says a caller. Over the weekend, the car parks were like there was a football final somewhere. The five-kilometre limit was enforced. The guards were stopping people for tax and insurance. Nobody was torn back. It shows where the priorities are. And anecdotally, and I say this anecdotally, people who have been stopped uh, going in and out of the five-kilometre zone when they have come across a checkpoint... And these were people who had legitimate reasons they were going for business or for education or whatever. They felt themselves that the scrutiny at the checkpoint was very lax. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. The number to call, 1850-715-996. The text or WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96. Twitter's quite busy this, this morning. Uh, the hashtag there is OL96. And, of course, you can message us through the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Please do address your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. just helps us to find them. We're live from Studio 1.5 for the next few days. So, Bear with me if I'm a little bit slow on the uptake <laughs> from time to time. We'll get, we'll get more used to it. Why is there almost no talk, says this uh, comment, why is there almost no talk about the Oxford vaccine in Ireland? It's cheaper, doesn't require cryogenic storage and possibly less of a risk for people with allergies. So why is there so little talk? Sure, I was only talking about it yesterday with Professor Luke O'Neill. Now, that's the AstraZeneca vaccine. That has been approved uh, in the UK and it is already being doled out in the north. And according to Luke O'Neill, that will be approved for use here within the next couple of weeks. The Moderna one will be approved, we think, tomorrow. And we'll start getting batches of that in by the end of the week, maybe into next week. And the Pfizer one is already here, but there's no one ignoring 
the Oxford vaccine. I don't know where you get that notion from. Just on construction, Joanne says, PJ, they should put a stop to construction. They're the ones in and out of shops for their lunches, travelling in vans together and probably not sticking to social distancing. We need a full lockdown like last March and April to try to put a stop to this. Joanne, we've never had a full lockdown in this country and I get in trouble for saying this and I don't care. I'm going to say it again. We've never had a full lockdown in this country. We've had a kind of a half-arsed, soft-touch unregulated lockdown right back at the start if you want a lockdown go to say Tunisia or go to parts of Germany or go to parts of Spain where they have a curfew we haven't had a proper lockdown since day one and I'm prepared to argue that point with anybody look at all the people walking through town says this there's no talk about that in the city there's places with awnings to shelter people and there's groups gathering outside There's nothing safer than walking along the beach. In Lake Boffin, in Bantry, there's a bad smell. It keeps everyone away. I was there New Year's Day. I left fast. It was either a dead animal. I also wore my mask, says Mark, in Bantry. We've loads to do, so I will come back to that. But this is the time of year uh, when we all start to think, all right, we have, as I always say at the start of the new year, the, the wallet is a little bit lighter. The trousers is a little bit tighter. And given that we haven't been outside the door for most of Christmas, we haven't actually been wearing, you know, a lot of us have been living in the the old joggers and the old tracksuits. So we kind of don't know how tight the pants would be if we wanted to get it on. But we know it would be a little bit tighter than it was before the Christmas. It's the time when we all take a look at ourselves and think, right, uh, what do we do? Do we get rid of that COVID stone? Do we get rid of the Christmas stone that's now piled on on top of it? We're heading into six or seven weeks of lockdown. So what else have we got except to sit around and and eat and basically just get ourselves through it? But it is time to take a look at ourselves and how we might approach the new year and we might get rid of some of what we've all been building up for the last seven eight uh, nine months or what some of us have been carrying for the last seven eight nine years not looking at anybody but there's no mirrors in the room thanks be to goodness let's go to my old pal tony martin of ketomind.ie tony good morning to you good morning to you and happy new year to you and to you sir it is the time when people start to look at themselves and think i need to sort myself out a small bit yep this is the time of the year when the re- resolutions that are made over the new year while we're feasting and gorging suddenly start raising their heads and uh, we start now Monday, uh, we start Monday, we start Monday, uh, we start February, etc., etc. So um, it, it's the time now to knuckle it down, have your plan, put your plan in place, no plan, you won't succeed. I think most people are afraid, Tony, that they will be uh, aching from a gym starving from eating like a bird and and generally that their whole life will have to change just for them to lose a couple of pounds well the the aching from the gym is out the window pj because everything is closed so there's yeah. th- that you can put that fear to bed so what people need to do is they need to look at and maybe get instead of just you know taking your little a la carte diet and implementing some notional idea of a diet uh, take a look and do a spring cleaning on lifestyle and take a lifestyle approach as opposed to just a dietary approach. The short term has been seen for time immemorial not to work. 
uh, people get a mindset that they're in a little bubble and there's an end to being in the bubble and then it's back to normal when they come out of the bubble and anything they would have lost or any you know, health benefit that they would have gotten from popping into that bubble, it, it goes when, when it all ends. And the thing with this is that people set unrealistic goals for themselves. They're not doing as much research into the process of what the whole thing is supposed to be about for themselves. They're not learning anything. And, you know, they, they just end up being like what 95% of people in the recidivistic game category end up doing is just putting it all back on with a little bit more. Yeah. So un- unless they look at it, unless, you know, they, they, they design something that will fit in with what they do, unless they conscientiously engage with the process, then it just becomes a little thing that they do every year. They dust on, they dust it off the resolution, try it out for a couple of weeks and, and it fails. Whereas with the opportunity that we've been afforded now with the lockdown, with the amount of information that's available out there on all aspects of diet, I don't think there's any excuse for anybody not to find something that they can integrate as a lifestyle. And yes. the one which is gaining massive traction at the minute is, is, is the low-carb approach. Yeah. Your, your, your website is, is ketomind.ie. And, and you've said many times over the years, Tony, when we've talked, that this is about a science rather than about a diet or about an exercise plan. It's about a science and how the science applies to each and every one of us. And there's none of us the same. Is that the way it is? It is. It, no, I mean, you could start a diet and you'll get a reaction in the first week because you're changing the environment that the food creates for you. Now, I've often talked about like environmental factors affecting everything. Now, whatever you plunge yourself into, in other words, if you go into the sunshine, the environment of the sun causes your body to get tanned up because there's a, a reaction on your skin to, to protect you from sun. So when you, when, you, when you go into the sunshine, the environment of the sun has a genetic change in you that, that allows you to tan. That's an epigenetic reaction that increases the tan on your skin. When you go away from the sun, you don't need the tan, so that disappears. Now, just like the physical environment that we, that, that we create by, by going into hot or cold areas, we also have an internal environment that's created by the food. So when we eat different types of food, we create different reactions within our body that the new food causes the body, causes the body to react to. Now, if we can understand that, that's a little bit convoluted, but if we can understand that, when you eat what are called healthy foods, like whole foods, the body has to do a lot more work and has to adapt and has to create different bacteria, well, allow different bacteria to proliferate in the stomach that will help us to digest and facilitate the digestion of the foods. And that creates different environments and different reactions within how our bodies react which can lead to us getting fitter and which can lead to us feeling healthier and can improve well-being. And like, I think all that information is out there now in droves and, and that's what people should be looking. That's what people should be investing their time and their energy into, looking at alternate lifestyles as opposed to the one that they've been living, which has led to them being overweight in the first place. Is it different for every individual, Tony? Like there's no one, one sheet fits all, as it were. No, and, and like, I mean, uh, I've been tracking, say, my own blood sugar, say, for the last four years now. And what I find is, you know, you could do something one day and you get a certain reaction from it. I could do the exact same thing tomorrow and I would get a different set of reactions from it. So the body is constantly adapting within an individual. And then each individual is, is, is different from every other individual. But having said that, you should try a certain type an aspect of, of a diet and see what works for you in terms of the reaction you're getting. Now, the problem most people face is they don't know what those reactions are supposed to be 
They yeah. don't have any clue as regards what's supposed to happen. And they'll do it for a certain period of time. They get to an end point and they view that then as the end point and try to get on with something else. My whole the, the old way of doing it, they, 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 you kind of look at yourself and say, right, what did I eat today? So for the next month, I'm not going to eat any chocolate. I'm not going to eat any sweets. I'm not going to eat any fries or takeaways. I'm going to eat good fruit and vegetables and drink a hell of a lot more water and try and walk a bit. And then, well, that will work. But then after a couple work. of weeks, they're going, well, what next? Well, again, you see, it, it, it is that what next thing, which is what throws people. Because they feel like I'm in this here now, I'm in a bubble, and at the end of the bubble then, they're looking at getting a shape as an end point as opposed to being a starting point. Like you should always have a reason why you want to get in shape so that you can invest and incentivize getting in shape. And then when you get in shape, use it as a starting ramp-off point for you know improving what you do and how you do it. Now, to have something like that in place, you, 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 like you need to put a lot more thinking into what you're doing, not just picking up a paper and doing, you know, this little uh, diet that you read in the paper and give it a lash for a while, you know, because that's not going to work because we get a lot more from food and the effect of food in terms of how it makes us feel than just the nutrition side of it. There are several different chemicals that are released in the body in relation to food that make us feel good, like our happiness chemicals. And different types of food, the social aspect of food, the reward system of food, they all kick in and give us different feelings of well-being. And if you don't have an idea of where you're going with, with it or an understanding of these things, you know, you can you know, put your mood down a small little bit, make your mood a little bit depressed, yeah. you know, get the notion that you're in prison, that it's a prison sentence, that, oh, I can't live, I can't do this, life isn't worth living. So again, the more structure you can put into what you're doing, the more of an understanding you can get around what you're doing, the more successful whatever effort mm. you're going to make will be. You, you mentioned the term in shape. Now, there, there was a time when in shape we all thought to be uh, as, as skinny as a rake and, and effectively fit as a fiddle. In shape varies from people to peop- from person to person as well, doesn't it? What is in shape for me is not in shape for Fergal or Terry. Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the PJ. Like, everybody needs to find what they're happy looking at the mirror, at, you know, so whatever shape you need to be in to look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm happy with that. That's, that's in shape for you. And that's a completely individual thing. You can't compare and contrast it with anybody else. These little idealized versions that we have on the posters of people in shape and we want to get in shape like those people, like that's not realistic. Like the, re- the reality of most people is you have a certain shape, you certain shoulder structure, hip structure, you carry fat in certain areas which, which can make you look bottom heavy or top heavy. And mm. y- you need to reduce fat all around. You need to get into a relative healthy state for yourself, which means taking your, your measurements and quantifying where you're at in, in relative health terms at the start of your endeavor and then having points, cut off points where you can measure the effect of what you're doing at, at, at other points so that you've got terms of reference for yourself. Talk to me about your own website, uh, Keto Mind. I looked at it this morning. What, what is the, the philosophy behind that? Well, uh, I, I would, as you know, I've I body built all my life. And yeah. I'd, I'd go through periods of eat what I wanted because I was training hard and heavy and I needed all the calories to getting ready for a show. And getting ready for a show, I'd cut all the carbs out and I'd go into an, I'd induce a keto state to get rid of my fat. Now, Always when I competed, I would always feel the best I've ever felt. I'd get down to my leanest weight 
and I'd be feeling absolutely fantastic. And then I'd have this notion into my head, like, this is the end of it now, I've done a show, and I'll eat all I want again. And yeah. then, like, you get so kind of lazy, big, laid back, relaxed, that nothing would get done. And I always found that I was incredibly efficient and felt incredibly good when I got lean. But, of course, as a lifestyle choice, that never entered my head because it was all about getting big and lifting heavy weights. And then I got a serious injury in my back a good 20 years ago, and I found that I needed to lose weight because the, the extra weight was, was, was distressed me. And I got into shape and I reduced all the inflammation going on a keto diet again, and then I went back to normal and, and put the weight on again. And about five years ago, um, I, I tore my back again, and um, I did some neuropathic damage down my, my left leg, which caused me a lot of issues. So yeah. I had to pull back on the training, and I went back into the keto diet again. I lost about three and a half stone. I wasn't really heavy at the time, but I'm, I'm walking around now at, at my comp- competitive lean weight, and I've never felt good. Now, the, the, the inflammation and pain around my, my, my lower back area in relation to what I did to it has abated a fair bit. I, I haven't mm. improved the, the, the neuropathy. So I just, I said, hey, this is a lifestyle that we all need to look at. And I looked and I went in as deep as I could into the process of what happened when you went fully keto because you hear all... Well, well, what's keto, Tony? I hear a lot. What, what is keto? Well, people's understanding of keto now is that it's a low-carb diet. But what, what the, the term keto is, is, has been hijacked and it has lots of colloquial meanings now. But like ketosis is putting your body into a state where there's very, very little carbohydrates available as the main energy. So your blood sugar level drops down to the point where it induces the body to break down fat to allow it to go into ketosis to use the ketones of, of being in ketosis to supply the energy to get your blood sugar level back up. That, again, sounds convoluted. So what it is, is it's reducing, in effect, your carbohydrates and keeping your blood sugar at a very, very low level and inducing the body to burn fat to produce ketones as an alternative energy source. So, so, so what you're saying, effectively, is that you stop feeding the body stuff so that it uses its own stuff as you 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 choose foods to manipulate the body into thinking you're inducing a starved state which then allows the body to start breaking fat down instead of storing it and does that mean being hungry there's the uh, the exact opposite there is absolutely very very little hunger on it wow which is why people now look at intermittent fasting and all the other stuff that they've observed over the last four or five years that have become fashionable as yes. a result of, of more work being done, these studies going into the effects of the keto diet now and its health benefits and the intermittent fasting and the prolonged periods of starvation, etc., have been seen to have unbelievable effects hitherto unstudied because people didn't look at it because everything was around the standard American diet and all the recommendations that were built up around the standard American diet, which would have had maybe 40% of its percent of its calories coming from carbohydrates. But now, because of the popularity of the, of, of the keto inverted commas diet, there's huge work being done in it at the moment. A couple of questions that have come in, Tony. and This is a valid one. I've seen it before. Some people lose some weight and then they look 10 years older. Have they done something wrong? Like not just sagging skin. They just don't look well. Well, it, it depends on the rate that you lose the weight at. Now, if you can imagine, like people talk about fat, I have a load of fat around my stomach. You don't actually, you've got an equal proportion of fat in all your storage pads all over your body. Now, if you blew up a balloon and left it blown up, 
and then let the air out of it after about two months, you wouldn't even notice the balloon collapsing. It would just let the air out a small little bit. It's the same thing with skin. If you're putting out a lot of weight and you're piling out a load of fat into the into the um, subcutaneous fat stores, which are the, the fat stores underneath the skin that everybody has, then as you lose the weight, the skin which was stretched over the fat becomes loose and so it sags. And it yes. can give you a gaunt look. But again, if you manage the weight loss properly and if you engage in, in, in resistance training to increase muscle mass and do other things to enhance fat loss and, and try to or enhance fat loss and also enhance muscle uh, building and gain at the same time, then that, that, that horribly sunken look doesn't really happen because, you know, you're, 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 not, you're not crash dieting, your calories are up there, so you're encouraging the body to lose fat at a good rate okay. without the sagging happening, without that, you know, that sunken death camp look. <laughs> Have you heard of NAC? Some kind of supplement that people are taking. Like, again, there are so many supplements out there. There are so many new names popping up out there. If, if you give the, uh, the, the, the chemicals um, uh, aspect of what that is, then, um, you, you know, you, I, I, I probably have heard of it in some shape, size or form. I mean, like most of the, the, the studies done on vitamins, they're what are called in vitro studies. People look at what happens inside in a test tube or a jar of cells or at a biochemical level within the cell, and they say, in this cell now, this is used for this, and then they try to extrapolate that to an in vivo. In other words, if you eat that, then that will happen. And sometimes these are done erroneously or without the proper scientific scrutiny. Right. So they're like, it can work. They can make a claim that it works in the cell, but as regards taking something and getting the same effect on the human, which is billions of cells, billions of integrated processes, billions of hormonal processes, it, it's seen not to work at all, yeah. you know? N-acetylcysteine is what that stands for, by the way. Yeah, I've seen I've seen work done on cysteine. Like N-acetyl is just um, uh, the, the chemical terminology for uh, an, one aspect of cysteine, which is an, an amino acid or, or an anti-inflammatory. Or you know, uh, yeah. it, it, there's work done on it. But again, like people take these things and they're hoping for miracles to happen. You know, the, the best way to go about getting fit one is to start regimenting a lifestyle change. Now, one of the best and easiest things a person can do is to say, stop eating at six o'clock in the evening. Now, if you stop eating at six o'clock in the evening and have a four to five hour gap before you go to bed, you're going to bed empty. And the body then, when it's reassessing and repatriating its energy stores, it can do so without the interference of nutrients being high in the blood system. So appetite regulation and fat stores become much easier for the body to regulate if you leave the four to five hour gap between your last meal and going to bed. If you can supplement that with a walk between your last meal and going to bed, it enhances the process further because it drops the blood sugar a little bit further. And if people just do that alone, you're getting into a period then where you're not eating from say from six o'clock till your breakfast till eight o'clock in the morning. There's a 14 hour gap in eating which allows the body to regulate its energy stores in terms of fat and blood sugar, which has a massive effect on well-being and a massive effect on actually weight loss and redressing overweight issues. So something, like something very, as simple as easy as that. It, it, sounds, like, it sounds like a very, a very simple start. Lastly and briefly, uh, Tony, what if you don't... Obviously, none of us can get into gyms at the moment, but like exercising at home, what can we do there? Is walking are, a simple answer? Walking, there's two types of exercise. There's the um, aerobic exercise, which is a gentle walk for 20. 20- Selling a little 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 25 minutes. 20 to 25 minutes because after that stage the blood sugar level is dropping and you're you're you have to get the blood sugar level back up again which means that you're going to be burning stored energy for that so that process kicks that in and then resistance training which are you know body weight exercises if you're at home that's the other aspect of it and you don't have to do hours of it people uh, like have been sold a pup in terms of thinking that they have to train for hours if you just want to get an effect and stay healthy you know five to ten minutes three to four times a week is ample on the resistance element. Okay. Now, there are plenty uh, online advocates or little demonstrations of small little circuits that you can do at home with your body weight. It's, it's been fantastic in the event of the last lockdown. I do know uh, the key and the uh, two lads there, they opened up an ATP gym out in Donnybrook. They have done a good bit of online stuff and they're highly informative, very intuitive, very well informed with what they do. So they're, 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 they'd be good guys to, to, to look at. Uh, there are another few guys out there who are doing online stuff, uh, small little YouTube videos. Just just get with something that's sustainable. It, it'll be five or ten minutes a day. You know, don't be doing stuff for hours a day because you won't sustain that long. Mm. People don't have the mm. time for that. So if you're realistic and you want to improve the structure, five to ten minutes, two to three times, four times possibly a week, and walk every day if you can. A 20-minute walk after your last meal in the evening. And you'll see so much improvement in terms of body weight and health that you'll be saying to yourself, why didn't I do this for years? It's so simple. All right, Tony, I'll leave it there. Always a a mind of information. Website for Tony Martin is ketomind.ie, K-E-T-O-M-I-N-E-D. Tony, thank you. Cheers, PJ. Bye-bye. Cheers. 1850-715-996. It's kind of in our own hands, isn't it, lads? Or rather in our own fridges. Corks 96 FM. And as I'm sure Tony would agree with me, don't start anything dramatic without at least checking with your doctor if you plan in the first place. But look at his website. A good read-off this morning. Tony and I go back a very, very long way, I should tell you. We were in college together and his dad, Bernard, <clears throat> taught me PE 
in Christree, God knows how long ago. So that's how fast. So he, he knows his stuff. He's been studying this for most of his life. 1850 Let's get back to this five-kilometre rule. I, I think I heard Eamon Ryan over the weekend suggest that it might be tightened back to two kilometres again. But at the moment, it is still five kilometres. And to be fair and honest, lads, it is not being enforced. Peter Hines, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Happy New Year to you. And to you, sir. Now, you, uh, living on a farm, your five kilometres is, is just basically your own back garden, I guess. But but we're not enforcing it. No, we're not. And I, I think, look, at the end of the day, I guess that people in built-up areas, five kilometres is a lot different to them than it is for me. But and I'm very conscious of how this impacts people's mental health and mental well-being at the moment. But the reality is we all need to pull together. I mean, we're in a serious situation. It's it's a lot worse than it was in March 2020. And the reality is the roads were a hell of a lot quieter when you go back to the first lockdown compared yeah. to now. And I firmly believe that, look, unfortunately, we prob- we are where we are because pe- some people couldn't adhere to the, the guidelines and, and the rules. And it's going to have to be enforced, strictly in my opinion, because even for me personally, and I know I have a lot more space than, than people in built-up areas, but I'm going running every day. I would absolutely love to go running along the coast or the seaside, but I can't. I don't go any further from the five kilometres at home mm. and I run home and that's that's what I stick to. Because How, how far away is your that. nearest coastline, Peter? Oh, it take me 45 minutes to get to Kinsale, so uh, I'd be well outside the 5K zone anyway. Um, yeah. And it's, look, we all have to play our part in this. Yes, I, 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 look, I look at social media the same as everyone else. The government could be doing things differently. We all could be doing things differently, and it's about pulling together now, because if we don't, there is so many more lives going to be lost. And I don't think people get how serious this is here. They look at the cases in the UK and they think, oh, they have so many more cases than us. They have a huge population compared to us. In actual fact, if you calculate yesterday's cases, that's the equivalent of 74,000 cases in the UK yesterday if you were to yeah. calculate per population. So oh yeah, population, pound for pound, we're, we're, we're almost level with cases, but the fact is that one of the worst death rates in the world is now only an hour overseas. It is, and it's, uh, and look, I mean, they've, they've confirmed, confirmed the variant is here, and I have a lot of friends in the UK that are, um, that are in severe lockdown and a lot severe than us and they're really adhering to it and they have to because they're conscious that it's their neighbours they could be impacting on it mightn't impact them but they're vulnerable people next door and I think that's what we need to keep in the back of our heads is Hmm. yeah it has to be priority to vaccinate the vulnerable people but they're not vaccinated and until such time as they are we need to pull together to try and keep as many of those people alive and and to protect our healthcare system yeah. I mean look at the end of the day I go down and I pike silage and I milk cows every day and it's it's a long job but I don't have to go in to look at and work 12, 18 hour shifts day after day because the staff out sick and stuff like that and, and look at people that are you know, really, really sick, people that are dying every day. So I think if we can't respect our healthcare workers and respect 
the, the vulnerable and the people that are losing their lives to this, then we, we really need to check what we're doing. Yeah. We need to cop on. We need to stick to the 5K rule. And if we can't do that, it should be enforced. At the end of the day, each and every one of us went to school. And if we didn't do what we were told in school, we paid the price for it. And we seem to have forgotten that lesson. Yeah. Finally, Peter, you mentioned mental health, and of course you, you're an activist in that regard with regard to the farming community. There's no doubt about it. Uh, let's not put it to This is hard. It, we have to is, remember that. This is really, really hard. And look, I'll hold my hand up. When I saw the third lockdown coming, it really got to me, and I really, really get where people... Uh, are, are with this that it's so hard but I decided okay I can do something positive for myself January is probably one of the dreariest months of the year and I've started doing a bit of running and walking every day and I've joined up with a team of people on social media and we try and motivate each other and, and push each other and it's about getting out and being active and, and, and doing something positive and trying to keep the chin up and we're going to do it for the whole month of January for the simple reason it's actually going to shorten the year for us very quickly by taking out the month and having something to, positive to do and it's not it's not a new year's resolution i'm not into that sort of thing i just think look it, it, you know we're all in we're all in a dark place and and if you change your mindset to say right what can i just do positively that's and safely for the next month or six weeks and there's brighter times ahead the country will be in a better position come the middle of february fingers crossed and uh, let's let's stick together and let's look out for each other because i think we all have a neighbor that that maybe is finding it tough and pick up the phone or talk to them through the window or whatever or I spoke to a great friend of mine yesterday who's inside in Cork City and they go to their parents the odd time for the dinner they have a little picnic table at the front gate and they have their dinner on the picnic table and their parents have it inside the front hall and they leave the door open and you can do positive things to, to bring yourself closer but also still stick to what the rule the guidelines are to protect health Peter, not leave it there for today. Insight. No, it's not. You're dead right. Leave it there for today. Thanks very much, Peter Hines. We have been hearing so much from CUH in the last couple of days about how dire the circumstances are out there with something like 100 nurses now either out because they have COVID or out because they've been in contact with a COVID case. So much so that there's one ward closed there right now because they just don't have the staff, the ICU yesterday was said to be pretty much full to breaking point. After 11, we're going to go live to CUH. We'll be speaking to their clinical director, Jennifer Carroll, on the latest situation in our biggest and our key hospital in, in this part of the world. So that, that's coming up after 11 on the opinion line. Does it move on to get our children to spend as much time outside in the open fresh air as they do on screens? They spend on average, lads, 1,200 hours a year on screens. That's a lot of hours. Break that down. 1,200 hours. Like, that's... Hmm. I don't even want to work out how many days that is. There's 120 hours in a week, so that's about 10 weeks, roughly, there then. Uh, could we spend that much outside in the open air? Uh, could our children spend that much time out in the open the air? And what would be the effects if they did? Uh, Catherine Hallisey, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ, and Happy New Year. 
and to you. It, it's a colossal amount of time when you break it down. 1,200 hours a year our, our children spend on screens. Uh, so if we could get them to, to spend 1,000 hours outside in the open air taking in air and sunshine and breathing in the healthy countryside or the healthy, even the healthy outside air, it would be very good for them. Yeah, and you know, this sound about demonising screens. You know, whenever I work with families on reducing screen time, I say, you know, it's not it's not so much about reducing screen time. It's just about thinking about what can you do instead. So when I work with children and families on this, I get them to brainstorm a list of activities that they can do instead of screen time. So, like, the days of saying to your kids, go on the way outside there, you know, those days are gone. We need to really think about what is it that is going to entice people to go outside. So what can they do out in the garden? What can you do outside as a family? And this Thousand Hours Outside campaign, this is something that I talk about every year at this time. It's really just about getting outside, thinking about what can I do to make it more likely that I'm going to get outside that my kids are going to get outside knowing that it's going to have huge benefits for mental health, mm. physical health and just overall fun. And a lot of people I think, Catherine, are like me and again I'm speaking as someone whose kids are out of this area at this time in their lives but a lot of people are like me. From about May to September I live in shorts and t-shirts. I can't get out enough. This yeah. time of the year it's nice to look at but I want to stay in. And that's not <laughs> healthy, I know that. No, it's not. And look, we're, I think we're all a little bit more health focused at the moment with everything that's going on. And we do know that spending time outside, it's incredibly protective for your mental health. We know that we don't get enough vitamin D at this time of year. And vitamin D is actually really protective uh, for COVID as well. So even just the simple, a simple thing of just getting outside and doing a 20 minute walk, that's absolutely amazing. Or getting your cup of coffee and just going outside with this, you know, outside your door, just spending a tiny bit. So don't think, oh, I must spend three hours outside today. Think, okay, if I'm not spending any time outside, how can I get outside for five minutes? Mm. How can I get my kids outside for 10 minutes? So for me, I keep my kids' wellies and coats in the car because that's a big impediment to me getting outside with kids. So, and I make sure that my own wellies are there, the hats, the gloves, everything, so that we can be cosy when we're out. So think about, um, you know, I always say, don't bother making New Year's resolutions. Think about what's your intention, and then what are the daily habits that I can um, bring about to support that intention? So if your intention is to get outside more, think about, okay, do I need to have the wellies in the car? Do I need to have Mm. the coats in a central location so everyone knows where they are? Do we need to make hot chocolate and bring it in flasks? So, like, I bring hot chocolate out with me on all of these outings because it really motivates my gang to get outside because it's the only place they get the hot chocolate. <laughs> you know? See, like one hot chocolate you're getting out. <laughs> you're yeah, going to earn so it. How, how can you make it special? So, like, even I still have the picnic bench outside and they can have their hot chocolate sitting on the picnic bench in the garden. Right. You know, so what can you do to make it easy? You know, if it's, mm. you're just thinking of yourself, is there a podcast you want to listen to and have it that you listen to that on your walk outside for 20 minutes? You yeah. know, so just really think about what are the little things you can do? Is it hanging a bird feeder in your garden so that you want to go outside and look at it? Or is it for your kids getting them binoculars, kids' binoculars or a magnifying glass? 
you know, and mm. there was a lovely book that came out last year. It's an Irish book, and it was something like 40 things to do before you're 10, something like that. And it was all of these outdoor challenges for kids. And I got that from my gang. And it was really such a lovely book for motivating them to do things outside. Mm. Catherine, just on a, on a broader uh, topic to do with, mm-hmm. with, uh, with our children at the moment, and I've been addressing this pretty much to parents uh, since 9 o'clock and indeed yesterday so when we came back, like the uncertainty about schools at the moment, and we, okay, they're probably going to stay closed for a, a number of weeks. Yeah. Children have concerns on many levels with regard, or sorry, parents have concerns on many levels with regard to the children and getting them through uh, those next few weeks. Any advice? You know, I think that so many parents are really, really stressed about this. You know, we, we have so many challenges. We've got the very practical challenges of if you're trying to work as well as your kids being home, if you're trying to keep your kids at some kind of academic level. You know, there there were just so many factors to this. And lots of parents have been in touch with me saying they're single parents, they're working in retail, they've got no choice, there's no grandparents. You know, so there's so many pressures that everybody's under, parents and children. You know, so my advice is always just bring it back to what can you control. Yeah. You know, so you can control the amount of bad news that's in the house. So just don't talk about the numbers. Don't talk about anything to do with COVID with kids. Allow space if they want to bring it up, but make sure that that bad news isn't on. You know, and... say to them, look, we don't know for sure what's happening. The only thing we know for sure is that there's no school this week, so we've got extra holidays, so how can we make that special? This is a bit of a bonus. How can, how can we make this special? So I was due to take down the decorations today. So I asked the kids, do you want to make it more Christmassy? And they, asked, they, you know, they said they wanted to keep the decorations. That's just yeah. one tiny little thing. Yeah. You know, so is it fair to say, Catherine, that really, and I think someone else uh, in, in your profession said this to me during 2020, 2020, there are no rules. No, you know, I think that we're all just doing the best we can and to give one another a bit of grace and to give ourselves a little bit of grace and, you know, just keep it very practical and the children that I see who are doing the best with this right now are generally the parents who are doing the best with it. So mind yourself as a parent. What can you do to mind yourself right now? You know, so and limit your own exposure to bad news and then just focus on the very practical things that you can do, like just playing the odd game of cards with the kids, reading the odd story. If you have to use loads of screen time right now, that's okay. This is, it's a bit of an emergency. It's a very unusual situation. So while I'm talking about getting outside, don't let this make you feel guilty that your kids are having screens right now because you need to keep food on the table. Yeah. You know, like, I think all bets are off. Yeah, just do what's right for you right now. You know, when this is all over, and it will be all over, and it is going to be all over this year, I believe. Yeah, so do I. We're in the home stretch, you know. What is it? Everything is going to be all right. It's just going to take a little bit more time. Yeah, and look, this is an incredibly harrowing time. We know that January is hard for a lot of people anyway. So now we have this on top of it. So just do whatever you can. And I always talk about, you know, self-care. You can have self-care that's going off for the whole day and people think, oh, I'll do that next month. But we need to have short self-care activities as parents, whether it's taking three deep breaths, which takes you about 10 seconds, 
whether it's going off and locking yourself in a room for five minutes just to drink your coffee and tea, going off and ringing a friend or having a rant to somebody, you know, whatever the little things that are going to fill your cup so that you have something to give to your children. Okay. Look after yourself to help yourself look after them. Oh, totally. And yeah. I know myself, when when I'm in bad form, the whole house falls apart. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't do at all. Somehow, somehow I can't imagine you in bad form, Catherine. <laughs> well, you should ask my children. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you, as always, uh, Catherine. Lovely chatting to you. And you, Catherine Hallisey, child psychologist. And you can find her on Facebook and she's got uh, Facebook sessions and Facebook groups there where she's doing what she does and doing it brilliantly. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Owen Colgan, Irish cult comedy hero best known for his role as Boss McDonald from Hardy Bucks, brings his new show to Cork in April this year. It's called Still Alive and tickets for Owen's show taking place at Cypress Avenue on April 10th are now on sale from the venue's website. Access all areas. The Everyman Theatre presents the classic play Educating Rita by Willie Russell this Thursday, January 7th at 8pm. It's a live audio broadcast and tickets and further information can be found at everymancork.com Access All Areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up in 2021 or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 9696969696969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969969
Um, but obviously, yeah, this, this needed to be done immediately because the, the worry was blood poisoning, obviously. Now, I don't, I don't think you know her, her actual backstory, how she came to come across the injury. But like you say, it's something that was neglected. I mean, who does that to a little puppy? A lot of people. This is um, my second puppy with a rotten leg since I've been involved with DAWG. We had Belle, a Springer Spaniel, um, a couple of years ago, who again was, was picked up by a member of the public, um, had to have her leg amputated within within hours. Um, now, again, she's she's healthy and happy and um, and living a great life. Her, her foster mum actually ended up adopting her because um, she couldn't let her go. Um, but yeah, it's it's horrific. It happens. Um, Ireland, unfortunately, has a very bad reputation for animal welfare um, and, and deservedly so. Mm. What will happen to Pickles now? Uh, Pickles will be left to recover um, and then she will be put up for adoption. Now I should proviso here, we have hundreds of applications for her already. Um <laughs> Because Take one her... look at the video and you know yeah. why. She <laughs> looks like a little bundle of fun. She is so cute. Um, obviously, the person who takes her would need to be very mindful of her sort of special needs ongoing. Um, you would yeah. keep, have to keep her weight very tight. Any sort of tripod dog can't carry an extra pound. Um, yeah. And particularly one who loses a leg as a puppy, uh, you know, you'd be worrying about her other joints taking all that extra weight. They, they do learn to adapt, don't they? But they have to be watched. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're usually, in most cases, I mean, dogs are amazing anyway. Um, you know, they, they lose an eye or they lose an ear, they lose their hearing or whatever, and they just get on with this. They're, they're very yeah. easy to, to adapt. Um, but just because she's so young losing her leg, um, the musculature development, things like that wouldn't be there. Um, so it'll just be someone will have to keep a really close eye on her going forward, basically. So we're looking for a, a very special home for her who maybe have experience in this before. Okay, well, once again, uh, thank you for the fantastic work you continue to do for Pickles and and little dogs like her, uh, Myra, and good to talk to you. Great, thank you very much. I might just mention that people can donate to our Facebook page or um, you can donate four euro by texting CDAWG, C-D-A-W-G, to 5300 to help to support the work we do. Okay, thank you very much. That's Myra O'Sullivan from D-A-W-G. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Gorgeous out there, but absolutely Baltic. Freezing, uh, but lovely. Lovely to look at. But like you were saying earlier to Catherine Hallisey, I'm saying, no, nah, I've gone out and that. Well, I suppose we probably should. We should try and get out at least for a few minutes a day. 1850 is the number of the text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Happy to be able to go right now directly to uh, Cork University Hospital where Dr. Jennifer Carroll is a consultant in the acute medical unit and their clinical director. I wanted to get an update on the situation at our key and most important hospital. Jennifer, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Thank you Very for taking our call. How serious is the situation at COH as we speak at five past 11 this Tuesday morning? Well, as, you, as you've already heard on national news and local news, it's actually critical really the situation but we are managing very well in some respects in the sense that we are team players here and all hands are on deck um, but the numbers as you can appreciate back in March we had maximum about 35 COVID patients in the hospital at any one time with about five to six ventilators. On this occasion, we've actually doubled the numbers in the last week. We're currently at 72 cases of 
COVID positive uh, illnesses. Now, six of those are obviously ventilated, but there's 12 of those patients, what we call assisted ventilation. They're on high flow oxygen. So they are quite sick and they're isolated. Our difficulty is with the other COVID positive patients who are also sick and on antibiotics and steroids and are being looked after excellently by our staff, um, respiratory in particular and infectious diseases. We have cohorted those patients to a ward, so they are receiving excellent care. Uh, The problem is that with the increasing numbers, we may have to cohort to another ward. And as you are aware, we are short of um, healthcare workers, particularly nurses and other staff. And so there's a large number of nurses out and and an equivalent number of doctors out. So we are trying to manage that and everybody is actually doing additional shifts and we've reconfigured the way we work. So we are working, we're having daily meetings um, to, to plan that. So it's, it's, um, it's very challenging, it's very stressful. But um, over the weekend I was on as well at the weekend and when you're going to the wards, you're so impressed by the selflessness really and the mm. goodwill and the hard work of particularly nursing and housekeeping staff yeah. and portering. But nurses have been redeployed to other areas because some nurse staff are very depleted, such as in our neurosurgical ward. Yeah. And I'm looking after patients there in a medical capacity. Um, but there are other nurses who obviously are um, not neurosurgically trained, but are surgical nurses and very well trained medically. So we're managing to look after patients um, on is, a one-to-one basis at times. They're, they're this, is, this is real. This is real frontline stuff, Jennifer, and, and, and thank them all totally for, for their service. In terms of people with COVID being admitted to hospital, just just how sick does one need to be? I mean, look, there are thousands of people who have it at the moment. We know many of them are asymptomatic. For an awful lot of people, it's just a few days feeling absolutely rotten. So, so how sick do you need to be to get so, into hospital? You see, we're concerned that some patients are very sick and very fearful of coming into the ED or into hospital that somehow they'll get worse. But we really don't want that. We want patients who are who feel short of breath and who have a significant cough and are feeling very distressed to first discuss it with their um, general practitioner if they can. But if not, and, and they are very worried and concerned, well, then they have to present to hospital. We don't want a situation where they're deteriorating at home and then come in very seriously compromised. At the same time, people are aware of it's very much like the old flu illness. So if you you feel miserable, you've a cough, cold, aches and pains, that's acceptable. But if in any way you're starting to be, you're vomiting frequently, you frequent diarrhea, you cannot maintain your hydration, you're feeling Mm. short of breath, then you have to come to hospital and you Mm. will be expertly cared for. You're not to worry in that capacity in the sense that ED are excellent. They will see you and we have a resuscitation area. We have all isolated areas that have resuscitation capacity within them. So you have excellent staff. You will be picked up, you know, if you need by ambulance if necessary, but you will be excellently cared for. That's the one thing I can always um, assure everyone that they will get the best care possible. Uh, What about people who are sick with other things, Dr. Carroll, or injured with other things that 
feel terrified to come to the ED because they might get COVID. That's it, PJ. We were very concerned on the last that individuals, we noticed there was a delay in patients presenting, particularly with worrying symptoms such as weight loss, um, significant weight loss that is out of the ordinary, that they're not eating, that they're feeling unwell um, and they needed, in, you know, extensive investigation. So we felt there was an, our belief was there was a lot of delayed cancer diagnosis that we see in the acute medical unit. Now, we've always kept the phones open. We take direct referrals from GPs. So we're always at the end of the phone. Um, and we've always, but we we saw when when it all settled down, say in June, July, we saw huge numbers that had a delay, technically a delayed di- diagnosis. So I want to just reinforce to the community and to the people at home that if there you have significant symptoms that is out of the ordinary, you're not eating, you've lost significant weight such as a stone or more, um, you've difficulty swallowing, you've difficulty in other, with fevers, night sweats or whatever, that may also be COVID symptoms, you need mm. to come to ho- hospital. Um, mm. Our doors are always open and we will manage that in the safest way possible. In terms of intensive care, we hear from the daily figures that the number of beds in the country uh, is a total of what around 280 and that the whole system is now under pressure. What is the situation at CUH with regard to ICU? Well, at the moment we're managing well in the sense we have patients up on what we call the the fifth floor, which is uh, like an equivalent high dependency unit. And there's a few patients ventilated there. They are as alongside cardiothoracic beds. So there's there are beds still available for patients to be ventilated in Cork University Hospital. And we also have our sister hospitals, the Mercy and the South Infirmary, to assist us if if we mm. get to such like, a Like are your ICUs close well. to full, Jennifer? Are are your ICUs close to full? Uh, well they're they're full but we still have capacity. You know, we've two or three beds at the moment down in the in the for for patients that we ventilate. So we're not at that point yet. So it's just important. To, we just feel there's a slightly different cohort this time that are managing with assisted ventilation. And despite our high numbers, we haven't the equivalent. We have the same equivalent ventilated numbers as we did in March with with a 50% reduction of numbers in hospitals. So we're yeah. managing the situation, fortunately. But um, so... At the L- moment, listener is asking, is it possible? Dynamic. Yeah. Listener is asking, is it possible uh, to confine all patients, to, to uh, COVID patients, to, to one ward or one block or one section of the hospital? Is that possibly? Are you trying to do that? No, we've done that already, PJ, in, war, in a ward called GC. So we made plans really for that on the last. Uh, second surge as such and we were planning it but that ward wasn't available initially with the first surge but then we didn't have as many numbers but we have a full ward now and we may need a second ward to accommodate even more numbers that are coming in over the last week and obviously forecasted to come in over the second week Um, so it is challenging it is very challenging on a day by day basis but one must be resilient and I think those traits are uh, displayed admirably by all staff, I must say. Everybody what actually can, is working hard. I have no doubt. What, what no, can the general public do to help, Jennifer? What, like, I suppose, 
you know, they're on the front line of the call face of it. I know they're weary of all of this. I know they're weary. And I, I really commend the Cork public um, on our last surge and the surge before. But, there's, you know, the slight weariness tended to set in. And obviously the Christmas break was complicit in this. Um, but I know and I believe they are taking precautions, but they just have to minimise their contacts, stay at home, stay safe. And if for any reason, if patients become symptomatic, well, then they have to self-isolate themselves. I know everybody's worried about getting a test and obviously the system is, you know, a little overburdened now with everybody requiring a test. But a test really is only confirming what you know yourself. So you really need to self-isolate. And your G- they will get to you, public health and the GPs, but it's really not going to change the whole situation. Um, uh, trajectory of the illness so you will have to self-isolate for 14 days yeah, from and, and, and even at home staying at home and I've I've heard great case where everybody you know meals are being dropped outside the door even to 12 year olds who are inside and they're they're communicating on their laptops with their mom and dad outside so that the rest of the family doesn't become affected so it does call for extraordinary measures but this is extraordinary times and it calls also for extraordinary effort so I have every faith in the public, but they really do need to, uh, to. I know they're weary, but we will get past this, given that we have a vaccination programme now yeah. starting and uh, we will get to vaccinating the community. And they're already this week beginning to vaccinate um, in nursing homes for the very, who are obviously more at risk. Yeah. But we and will I know you have a lot of staff in the hospitals being vaccinated as well. That will help. Oh, they've unbelievable in the last week they've worked so hard really uh, 12 16 hour days to vaccinate the staff and we're still beginning over i think we've done how many 2500 vaccines already nearly um are administered so we're still obviously the demand is high but we're we're getting through that and due to other uh, staff administrative staff and particularly working to to collate all the data and ensure that everybody gets vaccinated who should be vaccinated. Okay. Dr. Carroll, I've taken up enough of your time. I know you're, you're extremely very busy. Thank you, thank you for, for you and, and, and thank you for what you and all of your colleagues and all of the teams are doing to try to keep us safe in, in this difficult time. Thank you so much. And thanks. Most kind. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dr. Jennifer Carroll, uh, she is the consultant in the acute medical unit and the clinical director at CUH. It's busy, busy, busy out there. But don't be afraid. If you feel you need hospital, if you feel that you should be in hospital, if you can no longer cope with your symptoms at home in the bed, go to the hospital. There's a very clear message coming from Dr. Carroll. The reason people don't go to A&E, says this comment, is because they're waiting 18 hours to get properly sorted due to all the COVID chaos on top of all the normal chaos, says one comment. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up.
pick what we play. With Cork Dental Care, take the first step to smiling with confidence. See CorkDentalCare.com. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, a lot of people see a new year as a new start. Some people actually go about doing a whole new start. Uh, at the beginning of a whole new year. This is not a man I would have expected to ever move, though, from where he's been based for as long as we know him. Great friend of the Opinion Line, great friend of Cork's 96FM, one of the founders of the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Michal Sheridan, good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. You have moved on from the foundation and you have joined the Irish Community Rapid Response Charity. Why the move, Michael? Yeah, look, I'd spent 13 years with the foundation. I had an amazing 13 years. You talked about things like Radiothon, which which was a real phenomenon, and and I'm sure will will continue to be. But, you know, you just, I suppose, you get to a point where something catches your eye. um, And for me, really, the opportunity to work with Irish Community Rapid Response, um, to still actually be based in Cork, um, but to be running a, a national charity based out of Cork uh, was really just a, a, an opportunity I, I couldn't miss, and, and still in the in the healthcare space as well, which was really important to me. Yeah. What 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 does the Irish Community Rapid Response do? Yeah, so it's probably most known for providing uh, currently the first uh, one of the air ambulance um, services. So uh, out of Raku, out here in, in North Cork. Um, I'm actually looking out my window as, as an air ambulance helicopter. So that's probably what it's most known for at the moment. Um, but apart from that, um, we also at the moment have uh, 10 rapid response vehicles located in regions and in communities around the country, including again up here in North Cork. Um, so they would be uh, GPs or, or consultants, ED consultants or a co-op of them in, a, in an area um, who would share a rapid response vehicle. Um, and they would respond, uh, they would be part of a, a response to a 999 call effectively. Um, so when someone makes a 999 call, goes to the National Ambulance Service Control Centre, um, and from there decisions are made about what's the best, let's call it, let's an asset, what's the best asset to deploy, and that could be one of the rapid response vehicles. We also, uh, at the moment, have trained up uh, close to 250 GPs and consultants in communities around the country uh, through the Centre for Emergency Medicine and UCD um, and they effectively as well can be part of that rapid reaction to uh, uh, an incident, a medical emergency in in their towns, villages, communities uh, where they're based. So we have huge ambitions to grow that number uh, to, to near to 500 doctors around the country. Uh, we also have ambition to expand the number of rapid response vehicles around the country to closer to 50. And, you know, always we're, again, looking at is there opportunities and is there a need to expand the air ambulance service in the future? So really exciting, really exciting opportunities and, and plans in the pipeline. You, you mentioned looking out your office window at a helicopter. You tweeted a video yesterday of one of them heading off on a mission, heading off on a shout. What's that feeling like to watch them taking off like that, knowing that they're heading off to hopefully save a life? Yeah, it was. It, it's really exciting, I have to tell you. Um, just knowing that, where it's going it's obviously it's going to try to 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 save somebody from 
from a bad situation. We know, for example, yesterday the first tasking was to um, an art, two articulated lorries had crashed in, in New Ross. Um, and then I think later on in the day they were tasked to North Kerry. Um, I don't know what the outcome was there. But, um, yeah, so it's just, look, we know, for example, that if there was a call and need for the helicopter, it could be, it could go from Raccoon here in North Cork to Cork City within about 10 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously has been involved in lots of transfers of uh, patients from road traffic accidents to the likes of CUH. Um, but also in recent weeks, it was tasked with a um, taking a, a farmer from a remote farm in North County Clare up and, and airlifted him up to University College Hospital Galway. So, um, you know, where there's, where there's issues around access or where there's a need for a, a speedy intervention, then where minutes really are critical, um, then obviously that's where, where the air ambulance kind of comes into its own. In your new role, of course, uh, Michal, you'll be responsible for, for keeping it funded. How much does it cost to run this service? Yeah, so annually, to run the the, the organisation completely, it's in around £2 million. Um, the cost of providing the air ambulance helicopter is in the region of about €1.3, €1.4 euro per annum. Um, so obviously it's a, it's, it's, it's a big it's a big need, but... Um, for us, we just believe it's it's an essential part of the response. And, and is there funding from government, Michal? Uh, currently, there isn't. But that's um, I mean, obviously, now that I'm in situ, we're going to look at at everything. Um, the first thing for us really is during what is a continuing COVID crisis is to try to um, identify where we can raise money from through fundraising. And you know, I'm delighted we've a we've a team of fundraisers who have started as well. One of them started the same day as me. Um, so what we're doing actually over the next few days is we're starting to look at where where are the opportunities for for funding and, and fundraising and um, you know we'll we'll just start to explore all the opportunities. But you know it is it is a big number in the scheme of things. But you know people would have seen recently um, in in my last role this year or last year we had raised 2.8 million euro. So we're a national charity providing services in communities and towns and villages right across the country. Um, you know so really we feel positive about the opportunity and and the options to raise the funding necessary to to maintain and also to grow the organization well michal if you bring to it the kind of skill set and drive that you brought to the mercy hospital foundation indeed to our radiothon over the years it will be a massive success i congratulate you on your new job and we'll see you soon old friend we'll talk to you soon thank you pj happy new year take care and bye-bye that's Michal Sheridan, uh, formerly of the Mercy Hospital Foundation, now with the Irish Community Rapid Response Charity. The Air Ambulance started there on Monday. 1850-715-996. Don't know if you watch uh, the programme The Style Counsellors. It, it's back uh, tonight. I've often said before that reality and makeover shows, they're, they're not my bag, but... This is a particularly good one. It's presented, co-presented by Suzanne Jackson, who we've spoken to on the programme over the years, and Eileen Smith. An unusual, very unusual combination. But they take ordinary people and they make them over, clothing-wise, style-wise, everything-wise, really lifestyle-wise. And it's proved to be a massive success. And they're, 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 they're subject in tonight's episode, which is at half past eight on RT1, is from Cork. Her name is Tracy Ginty. Uh, she's a nurse at the Bonds. Tracy, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great altogether. How does someone as busy as a nurse on the front line, first of all, think about doing something like this and then get involved? 
Oh, come here, PJ. Now, I suppose it's a very long story because, like you just said, this now, if you we told me last year... We have half an hour. Year, drive on. <laughs> this time last year now, if you had told me that I'd be involved in something like this, I would have laughed, you know. Um, I very much feel like kind of the stars aligned a bit for me. Um, my sister and my dad passing away had a very big kind of part to play in this. Um, my sister was basically convincing me to do it. She was like, dad would have loved this. So um, I think that was a very big part of it. And a, a very good friend of mine kind of started the ball rolling for me. And it just snowballed from there, you know. And it kind of just, it happened before me even realising, you know. And it was a really lovely journey. Um, mm. Not what I expected it to be at all, you know. What did you expect and then what did you get? I suppose going into it, um, I suppose becoming a mother, um, you kind of lose a bit of your identity. It's the best thing to ever happen to me in my life. I'm so blessed. I have two beautiful boys, you know. But I definitely lost a bit of, you know, I kind of always would have had a bit of get up and go in me, you know, and I, I feel that I lost a bit of that um, over time. And I suppose... I, I wouldn't be very kind to myself. And I, I suppose we hear people talk about self-care all the time. And I suppose that's something that I would have been lacking. So I think definitely um, that was part of the journey for me that, you know, I need to just get a grip and be a bit nicer to myself, really, you know. Um, mm. And it was thoroughly enjoyable. Like, you know, everyone along the way was really lovely. Um, definitely feel it was a bit of a journey of self-discovery. Um, it was enjoyable, like, and I, I just, I'm a ball of nerves now. <laughs> tell, tell me the before and after, Tracy. Mm -hmm. like, what were you like before, and what did it change? And we'll see it tonight, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, what, what were you like before? And we're talking to you now. Obviously, this is the after, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah, so I suppose before, I mean, anybody that knows me, I would be a very, I suppose, I suppose I would have a bubbly personality. Um, but I've carried weight all my life and that's always been an issue for me, you know. Um, I suppose people always see the lovely external side of Tracy, but I suppose there's a much deeper, darker side to me where I would lack confidence, wouldn't believe in myself in a lot of things. Um, and I suppose just going through, um, now, I mean, the whole purpose of the show is they give you style tips. Um, they, they make you feel good about yourself. I mean, you're dealing with the best people, the best there. It's just unbelievable. It was a very surreal experience. And I suppose the after Tracy would be that, you know, it's time to be kinder to myself. It's time to actually be like, you know, f feel better and just to, to, to just feel better in myself, really, essentially, you know. Mm. And I do They're feel an that unusual I, I, combination and it works in a bizarre yeah, way. Yeah, Suzanne yeah. and Eileen, the most unusual combination. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I, for sure, myself, even I was like, I didn't know what to expect, you know. Suzanne was a dote. She was so lovely. Um, really, really kind. Um, such, uh, really tried her best to make me feel comfortable. Eileen, obviously, due to the pandemic, she was cocooning for a lot of it. So I suppose my dealings with her would have been minimal, but she did have a big part to play on the show, I think, in, in the background for sure. Um, mm. But definitely, she, she doesn't. She doesn't hold back. She speaks her mind with the oh, confidence the of an eighty-one-year-old yeah. who just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> but you know, and wouldn't she? All I say is fair play to her, and she did right. Yeah. You know, I mean, she is. You know, you, you'd always appreciate honesty. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, she's right. She's she's been around long enough to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. So you can only respect that, really. You know. Yeah.
You mentioned your dad, and I know that tomorrow yeah. is his first anniversary. And I'm yeah. sorry for your loss. I, I lost you. my own dad a couple of years ago, so mm. I, I know what you're going through, and I know how hard tomorrow will be for you. Um, yeah. He would have liked you to do this, you say? Oh, like, for sure. Dad would have been the driving force behind this. My dad was just the best man. <laughs> um, he really, he was all about family, and he loved, like... He loved RT, he loved the late, late, winning streak, 6-1, the 9 o'clock news. You didn't, fair city, you didn't speak during those times in our house, you know. Um, and this kind of fell on my lap in a way, and I know he would have loved nothing more than this. He would have loved nothing more. He would have loved the build-up to it. He would have loved everything to do with it. So I, I think for him and for our family and for my mom, it's been it's been a really tough year listen along with everyone else in the world you know we know that it's such an exceptionally tough time for for everyone but you know we miss him we miss him what was his name joe joe quinn uh, the one and only <laughs> well you'll be thinking of him tonight will will oh, you watch sure. with with the kids tonight yeah so we're going to um the, the boys and myself and Niall, we're going to watch and we're going to set up a zoom called in with my family and we're going to watch it together and Please God, like I'm so nervous because you don't know how it's going to be. But please God, it'll be lovely, you know. You haven't seen any any of it, no. No, nothing. Just the clips, like the clips on the telly. So I'm like, oh God. It'll be over before we know it. <laughs> You'll be sitting there trembling. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you now, I am just. It's just. I'm not able. But anyway, it'll be lovely. It was a lovely, lovely experience. To be fair. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about about working on the yeah. front line in the bonds, Tracy. And look, we've talked to doctors and nurses in all yeah. the various hospitals. Everyone mm -hmm. is flat out, like literally going like the clappers since yeah. since last March. How has it been? Yeah. Um, I think firstly, you know, I work with the absolutely most beautiful bunch of people that I would have look after anyone of my own in a heartbeat. Um, there has never been any shying away from the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic and nobody's ever... Of course, we were scared. You know, it was terrifying at the start, in particular, because we didn't know what we're dealing with. I suppose this time around, knowledge is power. We're more equipped, we're more ready, and obviously the numbers are terrifying. But one of the girls in work, she put up the other night, and I thought it was a perfect description. We have to, just have to put our shoulder to the wheel now and get through this, you know. Um, mm. We've gotten through it before, we'll get through it again. These are scary times for everybody involved. And I think for us in particular, my husband is a nurse as well, you know. Oh. And we work on kind of opposite spectrums, like Nile works in care of the elderly and I work in critical care. So they're two of the most vulnerable groups. So yeah. that in itself was scary because obviously, you know, you don't want to be bringing anything anywhere, you know. Um, but, you know, I just think, you know, this this year has been unprecedented. It, it's unfortunate that we have this start of the year now again, but we, we have to just put the shoulder to the wheel and get through it. We've got through it before. You're, you're, you're seeing in your line of work. Again. Yeah. You, you, yourself and Niall are both seeing in your different lines of work yeah. the most vulnerable, and indeed in your case, the, the sickest of people. Absolutely, uh, that, yeah. that, that must be hard. It's, it's horrific. It's part of, you know, it's... it's um, I suppose it's what we do, you know, it's my job and it's what I've done for such a long time and a pandemic, you know, obviously it makes it a bit more scary but mm. it's it's heartbreaking to watch what people are going through so I suppose what's paramount for us is kindness, you know, 
treat people with the dignity and the, the respect that they deserve and mind them because nobody wants to be in hospital. People are always at their most vulnerable when they're in hospital. So you just, no matter what, what way they are, you just have to be kind always. And I have to say the girls and guys that I work with, they are just... They're just wonderful, and I'm I'm so proud to work alongside them, you know. Um, and even I'd have friends, some of my best friends work in CUH, um, and it's just unbelievable. Like, nobody is shying away from this, you know. Even inside, you know, the, the cleaning staff, the girls we work with, the, the catering, everyone, we all make the wheel turn, you know. And it's mm. so important to just keep keep at it we'll get through this the vaccines are here now please god we'll be in a different position in a couple of months time you know yeah here is hoping you mentioned your friends and and you've many of them Uh, how are they uh, looking forward to seeing you on the telly sure like everyone is (laughs) they're all taking the mick out of me they're like who even is she now (laughs) it's just you know it's lovely like people are so good everyone's been coming out messaging me willing me on and it's very overwhelming actually I think I'm just an emotional wreck this week anyway because of that it's just hard to believe it was a year but people are so sincere and so genuine in, in wishing you well and it really means an awful lot you know all right. Well, look. Good luck with it, and, and I hope that when you sit down tonight, you'll be pleased with what you see. Uh, and, and and thanks for talking to us, Tracy. PJ, I listen to you every day. I'm off, so thanks for all you do as well. So thanks very much. Thanks ever so much. That's Tracy Ginty, a nurse on the front line at the Bonds, but tonight she's the centrepiece of the style councillors on RT1 at half past eight. Somehow or other, I think it might be an essential watch. Actually, speaking of essential watches, I don't know if you saw, I was going to mention earlier, I don't know if you saw it last night, but if you didn't, it's worth a watch on the player, uh, the Marion Finucane documentary um it's it was one of the most beautifully made and incredibly well put together pieces of television i've seen in a very very long time absolutely gripping a tribute to um, a wonderful broadcaster uh, but a woman of many many layers many of which even those in the business didn't know for example i never knew how beautiful her irish was uh, until i saw her speaking in, in interviews on the program it's well worth a look marion is worth a call it was already last night to be on the player now 1850 the opinion line on courts 96 fm with lehan motors leading the way for toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 toyota see lehanmotors.ie Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 On Cork's 96FM. Lots of comments held over which I will get to before we finish out for the day. But you'll have seen in the weather forecast in the last few days, if you read the, the newspapers in particular, mention of the beast from the east which which tore the guts out of us in March of 2018 and a number of articles that it may be 
on its way again. Now, we certainly know it's going to be very cold for the rest of the week, and we think there might be some snow uh, on Thursday. But let us see what is coming and, and why we should perhaps be keeping a weather eye open for it. Let's go to our man at UCC Weather, Cahal Nolan. Cahal, good morning to you. Very good morning. Carl, explain to me, first of all, what the beast from the east is. There's all sorts of big words associated with it, but there is something up above our heads at the moment that could bring hell and high water down upon us. That is the case, and I suppose if we look back at the conditions that were responsible for the original beast from the east, let's say, in 2018, it was as the result of what's called a sudden stratospheric warming event. Now, that sounds like a very highfalutin uh, phrase, and certainly it is, but if we break it down, really what it is is a sudden warming of the temperature in the Earth's stratosphere. It's around about 50 to 70 kilometers above the surface of the Earth, typically over the Arctic region. And when this occurs, basically, we see a quite a large displacement of the traditional weather patterns that we see at this particular time of the year. So uh, instead of the wind circulating in a west to east direction around the Arctic and keeping that colder air trapped across the reasons we see a reversal of that and it starts to flow from an east to west direction and that gradually takes a couple of weeks to influence the weather patterns that we see closer to the surface within our atmosphere and gradually then we start to see a change in wind direction at the surface also going from a east to west direction instead of the traditional west to east and of course at this time of the year when we see winds coming from the east or the northeast we see very cold conditions in this country. Mm. You mentioned the, 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 the warming, um, the old saying that they used to have, it's too cold for snow. That, that seem, is that where that comes from? <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't think that's where it comes from exactly. There is a phrase, all right, that it can be too cold for snow. And I think that really translates to when we have exceptionally, exceptionally cold temperatures. Generally, it's as a result of a lack of moisture within the air. So when you have exceptionally dry air, it also means that there's obviously quite a small chance that you're going to have any sort of precipitation or any snowfall. So I think that's more or less where that particular phrase comes from. Mm. Now, looking ahead to the next few days and this thing building in the stratosphere, is there any possibility, do you think, Cahill, that we will see a revisit of what happened to us in March of 2018? In the immediate sense, no, is the simple answer. So over the course of the coming week, we will see our conditions remain pretty cold across the country. Certainly, nighttime temperatures will dip as low as minus 3 to minus 6 degrees in some parts of the country. There will be very frosty conditions, dangerous driving conditions on roads, certainly on untreated surfaces. And then on Wednesday night, probably into the early hours of Thursday across Cork, there is the risk of some snowfall. So there is a weather front passing down from the north, and as it encounters that colder air across the country, it is expected to turn to sleet and snow. Some accumulations of snow in places, especially so across around above 100 to 150 metres, so certainly the right. northern half of Cork probably has the highest risk of seeing snow. Right, right. There's no real danger that we'll have several, several inches of it dumped upon us like what happened in March 2018, or is that something that could happen, seeing as this thing, like you said, can last for weeks? Is that something that, we could, could, that could happen? Theoretically, it's something that can happen. So it, when we see these sudden stratospheric warming events happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have these conditions, but it means that we do have a significant increase in terms of the chances of those events happening. But when we see these events actually taking place within the stratosphere, it takes around about I think, 10 days to two weeks for that to filter its way down through the various layers of the atmosphere 
and eventually it's to start to make impacts on the surface. So the fact that it's occurring at the moment, we maybe won't see any significant changes in our weather patterns for at least another 10, 14 days at least. So it's something to keep our eye on, certainly towards the second half of the month and certainly as we continue on then through February as well. It is particularly cold this week, just hearing the weather forecast there after the 11 o'clock news, it's just one degree. Now, it's, it's, it's lovely weather to look out at. It's very cold to go out in. Is it unusual for the time of year, for the first week in January, to be that cold? Or do we kind of forget that winter can be cold? Has it been unusually mild in recent years? I suppose in recent years, we haven't had particularly cold winters. Arguably, this will turn out to be the coldest spell the coldest winter since I suppose 2010 so a decade ago uh, we typically in Ireland we do experience cold conditions at various stages throughout the course of the winter some winters certainly are milder than others this winter at the moment is shaping up to be one of the coldest as we said probably since 2010 so it is a little bit unusual I would say that we're having such a prolonged spell of cold conditions like we yeah. have why, why does it sit long. down on us for so long does it just like we, we know how heat waves can sit down upon us if certain mm-hmm. conditions allow so how does a cold spell sit upon us what conditions allow that to happen if you look at the conditions that produce heat waves and that produce very cold spells in Ireland, a lot of the time you'll find that they have quite a number of characteristics that are very similar. So predominantly in this country, we get our warmest or we get our coldest weather when we have what's called blocking anticyclones. And they typically sit directly across the country or they sit over Scandinavia, Iceland or Greenland. And what they do is essentially they divert the typical flow of the Atlantic weather fronts or weather systems that we see coming across the Atlantic. They either they typically divert them then farther to the south. And so we start to draw in much either colder air in the winter or warmer air in the summer from the near continent. And that's essentially how we get these prolonged cold spells or prolonged warm spells. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye to it. You say there might be some snow on Thursday, but so far no sign of a repeat of March 2018, which I think a lot of people will will welcome. Carl, thank you very much, as always. My pleasure, as always. Thanks very much. Carl Nolan, uh, UCC uh, weather forecaster. (laughs) There will be no red alert this time, is what he's telling us, which, you know what, (laughs) with all that's going on, that can't be a bad thing. It can't possibly be a bad thing. Let's just clear up with some of your comments because we've been holding them over. It's been a busy morning on the comment screen. Uh, must agree with the doctor, that's Dr. Jennifer. I was in GC ward in November with a clot near my heart due to COVID and I got excellent care. On screen time, and we were talking to Catherine Hallisey about getting the children away from the screens and getting them out of the house for as much as you can, even a little bit every day. In our house, my problem is getting my lads in. They'd happily stay out all day, whatever the weather was. Take last night, for example. It was Baltic, and all I was getting was, ah, five more minutes, ma'am, five more minutes, when I tried to get them in. Not really a bad complaint. On beauty spots, and and people worried about travel to beauty spots, and and, and packing the beauty spots out at the weekend. We're talking to Councillor Audrey Buckley about that earlier on, and she's wondering, can you not just stay within your five kilometres? I live by a beautiful wood, tracked in wood. There was lines of cars and people with their dogs. No masks on them last weekend. I couldn't get in or out of my house because people just parked wherever they liked. I don't know what you think of this, but I was like a prisoner in my own home. It's not good enough. People don't seem to care. What's wrong with them? Do they think they're immune to the virus? That's in from Mary. And on the schools, and we will probably have a decision by this time tomorrow, we should know what's going to happen. 
uh, whether the schools will be staying through. I think we can kind of take it that they probably will be. Uh, SNA, this man, SNAs work even closer to the children than teachers. Vaccinations should be a priority for teachers and SNAs. This is not an adult strain. Children get and have got COVID and it was passed from child to child. I work in a school. I should be going back tomorrow, but this is different. It's more aggressive. Everyone needs to just stay in for two weeks and then when numbers die down, return. And on WhatsApp also, PJ, just shut everything down now for two months. Take the hit. Otherwise, we'll be just in and out of level five again. That's it for this morning. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks to Wayne Hilton on the desk back at base. And I'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.